The grass withers, the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. We're here this evening to study in the word of God. We are in our review of the book of Romans. And we are in chapter 15. And we will pick up where we left off on Sunday morning. We're moving into a new section tonight where we're looking at concluding remarks. And it starts in chapter 15. We just got to the end of the section talking about uh, the church, a discussion about the church, which started in chapter 12 and went all the way through the beginning of chapter 15. And now we are looking at some concluding remarks, which begin in chapter 15 and go through the end of 15. And you might think that's all there is, but then it actually continues on in chapter 16. So we'll see that as we look at this review. Uh, one thing I didn't notice until um, I just got uh, got everything set up here at the church. I had been I have been doing symbolic links for all my scripture references in the review. And uh, for this last little section, I haven't done that yet. So uh, we'll have to do it manually. We'll do it the old fashioned way, but we'll get her done uh, before we dive into our review of this section. Let's take a moment for silent prayer. We need to, do need to ensure that our hearts are prepared for the study of the word of God. This entails confession of sin if necessary, in order that we might be filled with the Spirit. And also, we need to humble ourselves so that we're teachable. Shall we pray? Most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here at the church tonight. We pray that you would bless our time that we have this evening, that the opportunity we have here to listen to what your word has to say, to go in and look at your word in detail in our review process. We pray that you will help us to forget about all the different things going on, the distractions of our lives. We all have a lot of things going on, and we could sit here and just be thinking about those things and not get a single thing out of this Bible class. But Father, I pray that we are able to set those things aside, focus our attention on what it is your word is saying, allowing it to nourish our souls as it was designed to do, that we would, we would think about what we've learned tonight, allow it to dwell richly in our souls, take it out the door with us and apply it to the life we're living. Father, I ask that you would strengthen us in our faith day by day through the ministry of your word, through the empowerment that we have through the Holy Spirit to understand these things. And I pray all of this in Jesus Christ's most precious and beautiful name. Amen. All right. New section on concluding remarks. First, we're looking at the minister to the Gentiles, chapter 15, verses 15 through 21. Let's read the translation first. But I've written somewhat boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again, by virtue of the grace that was given me from God. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit of God." So that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Illyricum, I have fulfilled my ministry in preaching the gospel of Christ. And in this manner, I aspired to preach the gospel not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. 
But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. So that's our section here, Romans 15, 15 through 21. Let's look at some principles. And by the way, there was a new page back there tonight. I don't know that we're going to get there necessarily, but we have it just in case we get that far. Uh, The things that Paul has taught in this letter to the Romans are given as a reminder for them. So interestingly, what that tells us is that all of this, which is all of this, which has been recorded in Scripture. Right. So if we look at if we look at that, you know, that translation uh, that we have. To remind you again, I've written somewhat boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again, right? We see that. It's interesting because for us, when we look at the doctrinal concepts in the book of Romans, we think about these things and we say, you know, man, some of these things are like foundational for the church and where else are you going to find them in the New Testament and so on and so forth. But remember, God used these uh, these apostles to prepare the churches to teach them in the foundational doctrines of the of the of the faith. But think about this for a second. Paul had already been talking to these believers about some of these ideas. Other letters, for example, the one we're going to go to after after we uh, complete our study of the book of Romans, we're going to go to Galatians. Well, Galatians talks about justification by faith. There's a lot of things in Galatians. In fact, some people call Galatians kind of a Romans light. You know, it's kind of like almost like Romans in a lot of ways because of what it teaches. So there are other letters. But what it's amazing to me to think about is he's saying that these are given as reminders. So in other words, these believers had already been taught these things. Whereas for us, because of what God has preserved in his word, many of these things, this is, this is the only place where you're going to find some of these things, right, is in this letter. So it's just something we need to remember. This was all given as a reminder for them. And they, they had heard these things before. Um, we all need to be reminded of things we have learned. And these reminders are always a blessing for us. Uh, Philippians 3.1. In addition, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you again is not tedious for me. And it is a safeguard for you. I will say that it is not tedious for me whatsoever to remind the congregation here at Lost Pines about the things that we've learned. It is not tedious at all. Now, you might find it tedious, but but it's not tedious for me at all because I know how this works. I know that for me personally, when I get reminded of something, if nothing else, it, it rekindles it in my thinking, right? Because maybe it's something I've learned. Maybe I learned it 20 years ago. Maybe it's something I uh, have an understanding of, but it brings it to the forefront of my thinking because of the reminder. In some cases, it might be something I haven't thought about. I haven't thought about it in years. You know, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. I learned that back way back when. I haven't thought about it in years. But all of us need reminders. All of us need reminders because, because if you think about it, if you, start, if you were to sit down right now and to start to write down everything that you know from the Word of God, I don't care how far you get with that. Let's say you really have a good memory and you fill 20 pages with notes about things you've learned from the Word of God. Come back a few days later. 
you'll probably do another couple of pages of things that you weren't thinking about at that point in time, right? There's, and when you get done with all of that, you're going to have such a massive amount of things that you've written down. It's difficult to keep all those things fresh in your mind, isn't it? It's difficult. So it's important to have reminders. It is not tedious for me to remind you of what we've learned. Second Peter 1, 12 and 13 Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Even what he says here, I love this, even though you already know them. Even though you already know them. So it's the point is, hey, you've already learned these things. You already know these things, but I will always be ready to remind you of them and have been stabilized by the truth which is at your disposal. I consider it right as long as I am in this bodily habitation to wake you up by way of reminder. And it goes on from there, having come to know that the disposal of my bodily habitation is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has clearly revealed to me. So Peter was in a particular situation. He actually was given information from the Lord Jesus Christ that he was going to die pretty soon. <laughs> so he's making an extra, extra effort to be reminding these people. But notice what it says. I want you to notice something in verse 12. And you already know these things and have been stabilized by the truth, which is at your disposal. Think about that. Now, that was our translation when we worked on this. That's a very important thing. How much of the word of God is right there at your disposal? How much of the word of God are you ready to put into use at a moment's notice? How much of it is at your disposal? How, how much of it is back in a dark corner where you'd have to go dig around in the cobwebs to try to find it? You know, that's the thing. Because, this, because the stuff that's at your disposal is going to, I love the language of it, is going to stabilize you. If you think about it, if you learn some doctrine and, and it's something you learned at some point in time and you stick it over in the corner of your mind, and I'm not saying you do that intentionally, but it gets, it gets stuck over in the corner of your mind and you don't really think about it, how much is that really benefiting you spiritually? It really isn't, is it? I mean, it's something that you can call on maybe at some point, but in reality, it's that stuff, and I, I love the language of, it's that stuff that's circulating in your in your in your the flow of your thoughts, right? These things come to mind on a regular basis in your thinking. That's the stuff that's at your disposal, and that really becomes that's really the idea of the wisdom that we have, right? The wisdom, because wisdom is knowledge ready for application. It's at your disposal and ready for application. That's the important thing. So important. So important. This letter to the Roman church almost certainly adds more detail and depth to the teaching they, had pre they previously had received. See, I think even though he's giving them reminders, I think he's reminding them of things and adding depth and detail that he had previously maybe never taught them before. So that's an important thing to consider as well as part of reminders. How many times when we go through and we do something in review, how many times do more details or Maybe, for example, connecting it to other scriptures or maybe application comes out in the process of doing a review or a reminder of things, you will find that more comes out. More is there as part of the review process because now we're going back over it again and so there's more available. Paul loved to share the message of God's grace because he understood that his grace made Paul's ministry effective. You see, the message of God's... Who do, I hope there's nobody in here who doesn't love to share the message of God's grace. Where would we be without God's grace? We, we would be in a horrible place. Without his grace and his mercy, we'd be in a horrible place. But see, Paul understood 
that God's grace is what made his ministry effective in the first place. First Corinthians 15, 10. Of course, you know this passage. I, I, I would suspect, even though it's a long, even though it's a long verse, I would suspect this might be one of our scripture memory verses this year, probably. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. I love the way this verse is phrased. It's a simple verse, one single verse, but look what it says. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Without the grace of God, I wouldn't be what I am at all. His grace toward me did not prove vain. In other words, his grace has not been wasted on us, right? We don't want to be those where his grace has been wasted because we've taken advantage of his grace or we've abused his grace, which can happen, right? Paul talks about that. You can abuse the grace of God. But he says here, but I labored even more than all of them. So he's acknowledging that even though his, the effectiveness of his ministry is completely, completely, 100% dependent upon the grace of God, even though the effectiveness of his ministry is 100% dependent upon the grace of God, he works really hard. He puts in a lot of effort into the ministry itself, not thinking that that effort is going to make his ministry effective, but understanding that that labor is what God is asking him to do as his fellow worker. You get, do you get where I'm going with this? God, is, God asks us as his fellow workers to work, right? To work, to labor. And so here Paul is saying, yes, I did. I labored. I put in the work. I did the effort. But God was the one that made it meaningful. The grace of God is the reason why it was effective. And that's why he says, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. See, this is the concept of a fellow worker. And I will, I will emphasize, as long as I'm the pastor of this church, I'm going to emphasize that God can accomplish everything he wants to accomplish without any of us. Right? It's not like God sitting up in heaven going, wow, man, if, if that cliff down there doesn't do his job, I don't think I'm going to be able to get, get her done. I need that cliff guy to get her done. No, he can, he can get everything done that he needs to get done without any of us, right? But he invites us, and I'm serious, that he, we have an invitation, a calling, an invitation to join him in the work as his fellow workers, and we should always appreciate that. Always recognizing exactly what Paul says here, that the grace of God is what makes it meaningful. But we need to work. We've got to put the work in. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. I'm sorry, I should have gone there. Let's go there. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Now, I, this is a verse, you might think this, this is one of those verses, oh yeah, I've heard that verse before, but I really don't think about it that often. This is one of those verses I think about all the time. What is it? How do I... How do I walk into this church, get up here and stand up at the pulpit and preach to this flock. How do I do that? Not because I'm, not because I'm special. Trust me when I tell you. It's not because I'm special. It has nothing to do with that. My adequacy is from God. He is the one who has enabled me to be able to stand up here and preach his word. And he gets all the glory. I want none of it. Because I am inadequate on my own. Keep that in mind. On my own, I am inadequate to do what I'm asked to do in this, in this uh, position as overseer of this church. My adequacy is from God. He's the one who makes me capable. 
We, not that we are adequate in ourselves. That's what I mean. That's the same thing I was just saying. Not that we are adequate, adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. And that is the truth. Yeah. While Paul had a ministry to his Jewish brethren, his calling was primarily to serve, uh, to, 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 it's service, to serve, is what that should say, among the Gentiles. Oh, primarily to service. I'm sorry. Yeah, he was called to service among the Gentiles. Acts 9, 15 and 16. Acts 9. I didn't read that right. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings. And then look what it says. And the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much more he must suffer for my name's sake. So, but notice the order of it. The order of things is important in this verse. To bear my name before the Gentiles. He's also going to have the opportunity to bear his name before kings, right? Paul had that blessing. He had the opportunity to bear the name of Christ before kings and also the sons of Israel. And we know that was true of his ministry. He had ministry to the sons of Israel also, but primarily he was called to the Gentiles. Galatians 1, 15 and 16 But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And he's talking about how there was a period of time there. Even after his calling, he didn't just... After he got on the road to Damascus and he got called, what did he do? Did he run over and start talking in the synagogues? Absolutely not. There was a period of time there before he actually went in and started engaging in that ministry. But notice what it says, in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That was the primary calling that he had. Uh, also in chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. But on the contrary... Seeing that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, the Jews, for he, effect, he who effectively worked for Peter and his apostleship to the circumcised effectually worked for me also to the Gentiles. And that's, the, that's that effectual working of the Father, by the way. The Father is the one who produces the effects. Verse 9 then says, And recognizing... The grace that had been given to me, James and Cephas and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship so that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. This we're going to talk about. It's interesting in the outline. I think I told you all I was I really struggled. I still I will tell you, I've got, I put together an outline for the book of Galatians in my preparation for when we, we go into the into our study of Galatians, I'm still not 100% happy with it because it's it's a very. If you, I promise you, if I were to bring in, if I printed out a hundred different outlines of the book of Galatians, there'd be a hundred different outlines of the book of Galatians. I mean, it's amazing how many different approaches there are to the book. But I finally settled in on one that was kind of similar to what J. Vernon McGee used and what some others used. And anyway, I came up with one that I was kind of comfortable with. But when I get to that, that particular section we just read in chapter 2, I called it the sanction of Paul. And, and then I realized when I wrote that, or Paul's sanction, I think is what I called it. And I realized sanction is one of those weird words that can be either positive or negative, right? 
Because when somebody sanctions you, it's kind of the idea that they're, they're approving. They're saying, yes, this person's worthy. It's almost kind of what happened, for example, at my ordination when all the pastors came together and lay hand, laid hands on me. That was a, they were sanctioning me saying, we think he's ready for the ministry. So it's, that's the positive sense. But, of course, in terms of sanctions, right, we have all these economic sanctions that we do against other countries when they, we, we think they're doing bad things. And I, th- I just thought it was interesting. That's one of those words that can either be a positive or a negative thing. But this is where he got the approval, if you will, of, uh, of some of those who were respected within the church. As members of the church, we are believer priests functioning under the authority of Jesus, the high priest of our confession. This is something we need to remember. We, it doesn't matter what your ministry is. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you have a ministry of, of, uh, of making sure we have supplies at the church. It doesn't ha- matter if you have a ministry, of, you know, whatever it is, uh, making sure that something's set up in the front of the church that's beautiful for everybody to watch, whatever the ministry might be, playing the keyboard, whatever your ministry is, as a believer priest, you are functioning under the authority of Jesus Christ himself, the high priest of our confession. 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. I'll try to get the links done before next Sunday. First Peter 2, 4 and 5 says, As you come to him, a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious according to God's assessment, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices well-pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. See, it's interesting because when we read this passage, you can read this passage 15 different times and you can notice a different aspect of it. What do we, what do we normally look at this passage about? We look at the, the passage to show that everybody today is part of the church as a priest or priestess, right? We're all part of a priesthood. And that we offer up what kind of sacrifices? Spiritual sacrifices. The same thing talked about in Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? The idea that we offer up ourselves up as a living and holy sacrifice. Our sacrifices are spiritual sacrifices. We don't bring in animals. And, uh, and grain and other things of that nature, our offerings in that nature. But look what it says at the very end, well-pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, that is how our offering of our spiritual sacrifices happens. It's through Christ himself, the high priest of our confession, as we will see in Hebrews 3.1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. When you read a verse like that, a lot of times you can just look at that and say, oh, well, it's talking about titles. No, it's talking about function. This isn't just titles. This is function. He is functioning right now as he's seated, seated at the right hand of the Father. He's functioning as our high priest. Our priestly authority is underneath him. Think about, think about the structure in Israel. Think about the structure in Israel with their priesthood. You had the high priest who would be a descendant of Aaron, right? Supposed to be anyway, right? A descendant of Aaron would be the high priest or Aaron himself if you go back far enough. But, but you know what I'm saying? So you have the high priest and then you have all the other ones that are operating as priests underneath his authority. All of them. And, and look at how it worked when, when Israel was right, you know, when they were doing what they were supposed to do. Look at how it worked. It was all... It was all uh, orderly everything was functioning like it was supposed to and all the priests all the levites all the ones that were functioning in the tabernacle or the temple and were doing all that they were doing were doing so 
in an orderly and organized way under the authority of the high priest himself. That's how it's supposed to work in the church today. That pointed that points to what we are supposed to be doing today, functioning as priests under the authority of Jesus Christ himself, the high priest of our confession. If we boast, by the way, what happens, you know, I always, I always, go, I always go back to Derek and his military career. What happens, what happens in, in the military if you have uh, somebody who's supposed to be a leader and you have those that are supposed to be followers and either one of those ends up failing to do what they're supposed to do? The followers don't follow the way they're supposed to do. The leader doesn't lead the way he's supposed to lead. You end up, you end up with a mess, don't you? You end up with chaos. That's right. That's what happens. Well, the same thing's true in, uh, in the function of the church today. If we boast in ourselves, we are, in effect, denying the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. You know, this is, this is one of those verses, too, where... I might have to have this one as part of the scripture memory. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So what, when it's talking about the receiving, what do you have that you did not receive? What are we talking about? That's grace, isn't it? It doesn't say the word grace there, but isn't that what that's talking about? What we've received by the grace of God. And if we've received it, if we've received it by grace, then why do we boast as if we had not? Why are we going around talking as though somehow we earned or deserve this? Why are we acting that way? We need to recognize God's grace. Grace, grace, grace. If we boast in God, however, we are testifying to his grace. You know, that's what we, that's what we want to do. We want to boast in the Lord, testifying to his grace as opposed to denying his grace. Uh, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 Thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For I delight in these things, declares the Lord. And that an awesome couple of verses right there? I mean, that's awesome. And that's that's. That's talking about boasting in the grace of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. By the way, Paul just called us foolish. He called us all a bunch of fools. <laughs> He said, but he's saying so in the world's estimation of us, right? Keep that in mind. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world, and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, regardless of how you might assess yourselves, the reality of it is we came before God. What, let's think about this for a second. We came before God with really nothing to offer. And whatever, if you think about it, if you say, well, what about this aspect? What about this? Well, are those not God-given natural abilities anyway? 
right? If you have the ability, for example, if you, maybe you have a particular acuity or an ability to study languages. Maybe that's something you're really good at. You're naturally good at being able to study languages and understand different languages. Where'd you get that from? That came from God, right? So whatever you have, whatever you bring to the table, it's all from God anyway. Galatians 6.14. There is no boasting in anything but God himself. Galatians 6.14 says, But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Boy, you know, the darker the world gets, the more vivid that verse becomes, in my opinion. <laughs> through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now remember, you know how you, know, how you might want to read that. If, if I were going to read that, you know, what the, you know what the word world is there, right? Cosmos. I would translate it the world system, right? The world system. All this whole thing that we're right in the middle of, this world system. And I, by the way, I 100% agree. When we were in the prayer meeting, Derek was talking about what a masterful job, really. You have to, you have to in a way, tip your hat, not, not in terms of honoring, but tip your hat in terms of recognizing where something, something has been done. Satan has done a masterful job of infiltrating Everything, everything at every level. And so like we were talking about in the prayer meeting, he's going to try to find some kind of way to trip up your sin nature. See, he's not omniscient. God is omniscient. God knows your soul better than you know your own soul, but Satan doesn't. Satan's a creature. But what does he do? He floods the whole world system, everything around us, with all sorts of different ways that he might get to you. And whatever way he can get to you, he wants to get to you. And one of the things I really liked about what Derek said, I, was, I, plan, I planned on bringing this up in the class tonight because of what he said in that prayer meeting. He doesn't, Satan doesn't do that because he loves you. He does it because he hates you because God loves you. That's exactly right. I mean, you think about, you say, well, what about an unbeliever? Well, I think, I'm pretty sure Romans 5, 8 says... God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And see, that makes Satan angry. That makes Satan angry that God would do that. And so he's not out. So he's not out. He may, now, see, here's the thing. He may make your life fantastic with money and all sorts of things. But he ain't doing that because he loves you. He's doing that to kind of, really, a lot of times he's doing that to kind of get you out of the way. He's just getting you out of the way. I've gotten that person. That person's not even thinking about God anymore. I don't have to worry about that person, right? He's gotten you out of the way. It's not because he loves you. I thought that was well put, by the way, in that. Signs and wonders were the credentials for the apostolic ministry. We need to keep this in mind. 2 Corinthians 12, 12. Um, A lot of people get confused on all this kind of stuff. They're still looking around today for signs and wonders. We don't need that anymore. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Okay. So if there's an apostle running around today, they would be performing signs and wonders and miracles. But there are no apostles running around today. There haven't been any apostles since the apostle John passed away around 100-ish A.D., he was the last of the apostles who was alive. He died around that time period. He wrote, he wrote uh, the Gospel of John and then the book of Revelation 
in around in and around 90 AD, and then he you know in 90s actually Revelation might have been around 95 or somewhere in that range, but he died around 100 AD, <coughs> 100 AD, and there haven't been any apostles since, and we don't need it anymore. We don't need the signs and wonders and miracles <coughs> because my credentials are based upon that book right there. If I don't teach according to that book, you're going to know it. And you can you can judge whether or not I'm legit by measuring what I teach against what's in that book. Yes. In the charismatic church where they're talking in tongues, is are the evil ones influencing that? Oh yes, absolutely. For there's well there's two well there's no question there's there's a satanic influence in the in the the tongue speaking churches. <clears throat> what's interesting about it? <coughs> excuse me. What's interesting about it? I finished my water off the other day. Is that What's, what I find fascinating is a lot of times in terms of every other thing doctrinal-wise that we might want to talk about, a lot of times the Pentecostal churches, we would have a lot in common with them. A lot of times they're really Bible. They study the Bible and they know all sorts of things. Thank you. But when it comes to, uh, when it comes to that aspect, they're under the influence of demons. And, I mean, if they're believers, they're under the influence of demons. If they're unbelievers, they're maybe even possessed. <clears throat> but... But here's the thing to remember. There's also a lot of fakers. I, I know two people, two people who were in Pentecostal churches that felt like they were treated as second-class citizens because they didn't speak in tongues. So they faked it. They just started spitting out a bunch of gibberish so that they would accept them as, oh, now you have the Holy Spirit. Because they, they actually will teach they falsely teach the, the doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, saying that you don't receive the Spirit until after your salvation at some secondary event. They call it that. And that, by the way, interestingly, if you've ever looked at this, it's bizarre. They actually do this weird thing with the early and the late rains. Have you ever heard this teaching? It's, you know, when, if you, like in, in James, when he talks about the early and the late rains, <clears throat> they talk about that and they say, well, the early rains is when you believe. And the late rains is when you actually receive the Holy Spirit. And then you'll speak in tongues, right? And uh, so I know, I know of at least two people that they started spouting out gibberish just because they wanted to be accepted in the Pentecostal church. But eventually, both of those people went, wait a minute. This is all a big fraud. They're telling me now I got the Holy Spirit. When I'm just, you see, they, they really recognized the fraud when all of that took place. Yes, sir. <coughs> That's correct. The word tongue, glossa, means language. So we call it tongues because that's you know what it's been called forever. But it's actually languages, right? And uh, so primarily, but see where they get where here's what they they always play games with this stuff. So here's what they, the idea of tongues is: they were speaking in other languages that were earthly human languages, right? And what was the message they were delivering? Anybody can anybody tell me? It was a warning. What was the message? There was impending destruction coming. Right. There was a warning to the Jews that were in the diaspora. It was a warning to them that destruction was coming. That destruction actually took place when 70 A.D. Right. When Rome got when, excuse me, when Jerusalem got sacked, when the whole thing took place, the Romans came in and sacked Jerusalem. Here's, so that was a warning that was going out and it was in human languages. But here's what the Pentecostals do with it. They say, well, there's that one verse that talks about Paul talks about the tongues of angels. And you see, this is tongue. We're speaking in the tongues of angels. 
So it's not a human language that you understand, but it's an angelic language. That's what they do. I'm serious. That's what they do with it. There's a way you could. So if you if you want to come up with a if you want to come up with that kind of thing, you can try to justify it a hundred different ways. Right. But the reality of it is my favorite thing. A guy at work came up and asked me this question in the hallway. I was walking by, I was walking by him, said hi. And he stopped. And he said, I got a question for you. And I said, OK. He says, if tongues is legit. Why is it that they only speak it in Pentecostal churches? <laughs> right? <laughs> and so I said, all I said was, there you have it. <laughs> there you have it. You've answered the question. So signs and wonders and all that kind of stuff, that was to, but see, you've got what you want to understand is that was what they would do. That was their credentials. If they were able to perform signs and wonders and miracles, then people would say, oh, wow, that person's a legitimate apostle. That's not just some faker. That's a legitimate apostle. Again, we don't need that today. Yes, sir. Every apostle actually was a witness to Christ. That's exactly right. So for somebody who tells you they're an apostle today, just say, man, how old are you? <laughs> how, how, how old are you? You've got to be really, really old. You're almost 2,000 years old. Uh, today, pastor, teachers, evangelists, etc., are verified through the evaluation against the completed canon of Scripture, and that's what I was talking about. You can, I mean, all you got to do, if you, if I teach something from this from this pulpit, and it's not right, and you look in the Bible and you find a verse, and you think what I'm teaching is not right, come and talk to me about it because I don't want to teach anything that's false. I'm not going to look at you and say, oh no, no, that's not. I'm, I'm going to take whatever you've given me as a question, and I'm going to go examine it and look at it and try to understand it. You know, when I, like, for example, we had someone who uh, I have a lot of respect for, actually, in terms of his spiritual walk, who came and challenged me with regard to the timing of the rapture and was showing me different verses and saying, I think the rapture actually happens in the middle of the tribulation, not at the not before the beginning of the tribulation. So what did I do? I went back. I did an, I die. I did a deep dive more than I had ever done. And I'm more convinced now than ever that it's pre-trib. I'm more convinced now than ever. He, so he didn't. He didn't cause me to have a lack of faith. He didn't disrupt anything. He just reinforced and strengthened what I already believed. But what if he, what if I, he brought up something and I had been right, he'd been right about it. And I'd have gone, wow, okay. I never really thought about that, right? But I, I want to teach the things that are true because if I'm not teaching what's in this word, I'm not helping you. I'm not helping you. One of Paul's ministry goals was to be a trailblazer for the gospel. He wanted to be going out and reaching people that had not been reached. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 18, 14 through 18, I mean. For we are not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you, for we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure, that is, in other men's labors, but with the hope that as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere enlarged even more by you. So as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you and not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. See, that's powerful too, right? What a great verse to end that with. He who the Lord commends. But see, Paul really had a heart for making sure that he could actually reach out to regions and people who had not heard the gospel. He wanted to get out. He, if somebody else had been there, and had given people the gospel, he didn't want to try to build on top of their work. He wanted to go and reach people who had not heard the gospel before. <clears throat> Others were assigned to build upon Paul's ministry, and he was fine with that. <clears> 1 <throat> Corinthians 3, 
That's what this is all about in 1 Corinthians 3, which is an important passage in a lot of ways. Notice what he says here in this, this section. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But notice he's not upset that somebody else is building on a foundation that he established. He's fine with that, right? Because he recognized, I may have laid a foundation. They're building on it. Guess what? God's the one causing the growth. God's the one making it all mean something. So he does, he's, he's not trying to claim glory, in other words. He's fine with somebody else <clears throat> building on a, on a foundation that he laid. This is all in accordance with the foundational purpose of apostolic ministry. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. <clears throat> so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but your fellow citizens with the saints and are of god's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. But notice what it says in verse 20, <clears throat> been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The church was founded by the apostles and prophets of that apostolic era, right? If we look at that, if we look at the stewardship or dispensation of the church, and we look at the age, the age of the apostles was foundational. Well, let me ask you a question. We're 2,000 years into the church almost. Are we still setting the foundation? We're not. And if you look at the scriptures and you look at how things are described in the scriptures with regard to this, the apostles and the prophets laid that foundation and then that foundation is being built upon, right? That's what's taking place and it's been taking place for 1,900 years or so. The building upon top of that foundation which was laid, which of course the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. There is no other cornerstone. <clears throat> through Paul's primary, excuse me, though Paul primarily preached to the Gentiles, he prayed that the Jewish people would recognize the message they had received. Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Right? That's the question. Who has believed our message? To whom, whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who has heard the message and who has believed the message? Romans 9, of course, 1 through 5, which we've already looked at. <clears throat> I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies together with me in the Holy Spirit that my sorrow is great and the grief in my heart is unceasing. For I could wish that I myself were accursed separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. 
whose are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, who is God, who is blessed forever. Amen. So he has this unbelievable heart for the Jewish people. And even though he was called to preach to the Gentiles, he, he was he was not going. And we, we saw the calling mentioned the Gentiles, but also the sons of Israel. He was going to proclaim the gospel to the Jews as much as he was able. All right. Desire to visit Rome. And we're already at. 745. You know what? I think we'll 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 stop right here. Um, yeah, there's a lot of verses there. There's a lot. I don't want to start into that section and then have to start all over again. So we will come back next time and pick up um, in that next section, the desire to visit Rome in chapter 15, verses 22 through 33. So we'll finish a little early tonight. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to look at these verses. Thank you for the blessing of the gathering that we had here at the church tonight. I pray that this has been effective for all of us, that all of us were reminded of things or maybe even learned things that we haven't thought about before. But I pray that each of us is is ready to hear things from your word that maybe we haven't heard before, ready to be strengthened in our faith, that we're not just here to check a box, as we were talking about in the in the prayer meeting, there's, there's no sense in coming to church if you're just here to check a box. It's supposed to be about coming here to be fed, uh, to hear your word, that precious food for our souls. Help us to digest this in terms of dwelling upon it, thinking about it, uh, understanding it to greater detail than maybe we ever have before. But Father, help us to understand that, that this, this, is, this truth, this precious truth that you've preserved for us is more important even than the food that we throw in our mouths in order to feed these bodies. This precious truth is an absolutely necessary food. And just as we need food every single day to keep these bodies going, we need food every single day to keep our spiritual life going. So, Father, I pray that tonight we've been blessed by it, that we've grown, that we've been strengthened by it, and that we might take ourselves before this lost and dying world in the strength of your word and present them with the glories of your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all of these things in his most precious and holy name. Amen.